Welcome everyone to episode 49 of the Ethi Awards podcast. So excited that you've been with me this long. I'm ex- I'm amazed that I've gone this long. So this is great. We're going to get right to it now. We've got four new nominees. Hello, Boyd. Why aren't you out signing autographs or dancing? I need to ask you a question. Um... I wanted to know when you plan to leave town. Leave? A couple of days, I guess. Well, I, I wanted to know if I could go with you. Well... I can do a lot of things. I'll earn my keep. You're a little too old to be running away with the circus, aren't you, kid? No, it, it's not that. Like... You made me walk again, okay? A lot of people tried to do that, but they couldn't. Hold it, kid. I had nothing to do with you walking. Sure you did. Everybody saw it. Look, I run a show here. It's a lot of smoke and noise, and it's strictly for the suckers. I've been pulling one kind of scam or another since I was your age. And if there's one thing I know, it's how to spot the genuine article. Because that's what you got to watch out for. Not the cops. You can always get around the cops. But the one thing you can never, ever get around is the genuine article. And you, kid, are the genuine article. Are you saying you think you're a fake? I know I'm a fake. Well, what difference does it make if you get the job done? Kid, it makes all the difference in the world. That was a clip from the movie Leap of Faith, starring Steve Martin. And here we have a North Carolina lawyer who was certainly not the quote-unquote genuine article. Like the Steve Martin character, he seems to be someone who doesn't quite live up to his profession of faith. At least those are the allegations from two clients, both of whom filed complaints against the lawyer for the lawyer's uh, explicit sexual banter with them during the representation. And by the way, these are in family law matters, so he's representing people getting divorced. The first was a woman, and the lawyer attempts to win her over with flirtatious and romantic text messages. And then eventually, just they devolve into sending uh, graphic suggestions and uh, semi-nude pictures of himself. This only stopped, by the way, because the client eventually fired him and said, no, no, I want a new counsel who's going to actually concentrate on my, my legal problems, not my, you know, social problems. The second client was a male client whom the lawyer does not try to seduce, at least not directly, but instead he tries to enlist this client as a wingman. <laughs> Believe it or not, he suggests that they should be a threesome between the lawyer, this client, and one of the lawyer's employees, whom the lawyer describes in a text message to the client as someone who, quote unquote, makes me horny. Now, I suspect that it was the lawyer's suggestion of liquoring up the assistant to get her ready for this threesome that made the client think uh, he should probably seek alternative representation. Now, this isn't the first time that we dealt with the topic of lawyers behaving badly. Unless you're new to the podcast, you're probably thinking, really, Sean? Another nominee for Worst Love Scene? (sighs) But here's the thing. This nomination is given for the category of Most Deceptive Marketing. Because North Carolina Bar has recently amended its complaint against this lawyer to include charges not just of trying to sleep with the client, violating conflict of interest rules, 
but also violating the ethics rules regarding to truthfulness and advertising. And here's what the bar says. On the website for his law practice, the respondent states that he is a member of the Christian Legal Society, an organization of lawyers who view the practice of law as a ministry, and the founding member of the Christian Family Law Association, whose members are devoted to conducting their family law practices as ministries to the glory of God. The statements on the respondent's website, right, described above, emphasize the respondent's identification as a Christian and indicate to the public that he conducts his family law practice as a ministry to the glory of God. Because the respondent engages in gratuitous, sexually explicit communications with clients, <laughs> the statements about his law practice, being all Christian-y, are misleading. And as a result, they're a violation of the rules of attorney advertising. Whoa, did you see what they did there? They made Christian hypocrisy a completely separate ethics violation. Now, if you're a Christian, you should be scared. Heck, no matter what your religious affiliation, North Carolina Bar seems to be saying that if you hold yourself out as a person of faith, you must be the genuine article. And if you are faking the funk, as my people would like to say, uh, you can be sent to uber purgatory, or at least suspended from law practice. Now, I know some of you are freaking out right now. You think, wait a minute, you gotta be kidding me. I don't possibly live up to the standards I hold myself out to publicly. Calm down, no one does, neither do I, all right? <laughs> but what they are saying here, and this is important, is to keep your hypocrisy to yourself. In other words, if you're going to talk about it, use it in your marketing material, put it on your website. If you're going to talk about it, you better be about it. Now, what you can do is just admit you're a heathen up front. All right? Now, don't get me wrong. All right? Being an admitted heathen isn't going to allow you to still sleep with the clients. All right? He's going to still be in trouble for that. But it won't add an additional charge of marketing violations or hypocrisy. And this is an important thing to understand. We're going to see it in another case in this same episode where some bar associations are starting to say, wait a minute, all right? <laughs> We're going to hold you to your marketing material. If you say you all goody goody and love the Lord, uh, then you better just be loving him and your spouse and not every client that comes in the door. And it's a good reminder that, you know, if you're gonna be a hypocrite, you need to be a silent one. When's the last time you were out there? Uh. Uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, 1978. Things are a little different now. First, you have to be friends. You have to like each other. Then your neck. This could go on for years. Then you have tests, and then you get to do it with a condom. The good news is you split the check. I don't think I could let a woman pay for dinner. Great. They'll throw a parade in your honor. You'll be man of the year in Seattle Magazine. Tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll find out. What is it? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. Oh, this is going to be tough. Tough, tough. This is going to be much tougher than I thought it was going to be. That was a scene from Sleepless in Seattle, our next nominee in the category of Best Original Excuse. And I guess if they ever make a remake of that movie, they should relocate it to Cleveland and cast this municipal judge as a lead. After all, if the local bar gets its way, she won't have any law-related duties for the next two years uh, since she's been found to have committed, quote, a breathtaking number of infractions. There's a local judge, over a hundred of them, 
Specifically, she has issued arrest warrants for defendants who didn't appear to court uh, because of the government-issued stay-at-home order right at the beginning of the COVID lockdown. She held hearings without a prosecutor present, unilaterally entered pleas for unrepresented defendants, Remember, all the lawyers were at home, right? arbitrarily imposed and waived fines and court costs, jail defendants to compel their payment of fines and, and costs. So she's basically running a debtor's prison. And lastly, created false court journal entries to hide what she had been doing once she was asked about it. And by the way, none of that includes the 34 separate instances in which she engaged in inappropriate humor and demeaning behavior towards uh, various parties and, and their counsel. For instance, this judge seemed to have a thing about being called ma'am. She didn't like it. As a result, whenever anyone referred to her as ma'am, she would respond, I'm not a ma'am, little boy. I'm a judge. I'm Judge Blank. She also appears to be one of these people who did their own research about the pandemic. And as a result, she treated those who stayed away from the courthouse on orders, by the way, from the government as fugitives from justice. They're living in fear. They need to come up in here, get this COVID and this sentence. Now, that said, her biggest problem seems to be that she tried to run a real court of law, just like an episode of Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown. Lots of off the cuff, smart aleck remarks, you know, folksy solutions. So, for instance, here's how she handled an arraignment for an offended Defendant who was appearing before her on a misdemeanor drug possession and open container violation charges. Right? Not the most serious things in the world. This is the oldest of town drunk. And so what she says is, uh, let me see what Mr. Jerry is drinking here. That way I know how much I'm going to find him. Let's see. Page the report. Hmm, Milwaukee best. I guess Mr. Jerry doesn't have too much money then. Not going to be able to find him much at all. 800 malt liquor? Tito's? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I guess Jerry doesn't have too much money. How long will it take you to come up with $25, Mr. Jerry? Jerry answers, Friday? She says, okay, Mr. Jerry. I'm going to plead you to an attempted open container. It's a minor misdemeanor. I'll get rid of that weed for you because I know my bailiff, Reddy, over here gave it to you on the West Side Market. You can't be taking weed from total strangers, okay? Pay $25 by Friday, the other cases are dismissed, court costs are waived. Now here's the thing, while it's certainly not a good look for a judge to be beer shaming a poor defendant because he's not be able to drink imported, all right, nor is it at all appropriate to joke, and she was joking, about her bailiff being a part-time drug dealer, all right, and it's a definite no-no for the judge to substitute different criminal charges, right, to say, oh no, no, I'm going to charge you with this instead of that, that's kind of the job of the prosecutor. There is a folksy wisdom to the resolution here. We certainly wouldn't want Mr. Jerry to be treated like he was a drug kingpin or someone engaged you know, in a fatal DUI accident for walking around town with an open beer can and a tiny amount of weed. But as much as I kind of like the end result, the process is important, particularly for a judge. Right, given the sheer magnitude of the power they hold, it's necessary for judge to, judges to do things by the book. It's the only way our system will work. Because while we all might reach different judgments about a matter, we can all agree on the basic underlying framework upon which the decision should be made. And it's on procedural grounds that judicial sentences are upheld or overturned. 
After all, appellate courts aren't going to overturn, or they're reticent to do so, determinations by judges and juries who were in court actually heard the witnesses. If they say you did it, you did it. Appellate judges, all they have is a transcript. So really, all they're doing is to making sure that you follow the rules to reach the decision you've reached. And here, this judge's lack of regard for things like having prosecutors, <laughs> right, and defending the attorneys uh, present at the arraignments, ruling on the charges filed and not just making up your own charges, or making up fines or, or waiving them completely, just at your sole discretion, all of those things make her actions appealable. Every one of their cases is subject to appeal because she has not followed the rules. Now, in hindsight, the judge realizes this. So at the hearing, her lawyers don't argue that she was right. They say, no, 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 she was wrong. She messed everything up. But she's got a good excuse here. Thus, most original excuse category. She says, the reason she did all this was because she happened to be suffering from menopause and sleep apnea. In other words, the hot flashes and the physical exhaustion of being up for you know, days at a time made her lose her mind for a little while. She's fine now, but just for a little while. This is the legal ethics equivalent of temporary insanity. And so the judges here in the case, and these Supreme Court justices, the state Supreme Court justices, uh, they're, they're, under, they're a little bit skeptical. Let's put it that way. How does sleep apnea or menopause contribute to lying? Well, it, it, it affects her, 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 her mood. It affects um, her ability to think clearly. And that didn't work out as well, I think, as the defense lawyer wanted to. And here's a key thing that he seemed to forget. People always seem to forget. Disciplinary authorities will take into account claims of incapacity right, due to, say, a mental or physical illness, but it must be directly related to the harm done. So, for instance... A diagnosed case of kleptomania might earn a lawyer or a judge some leniency for charges that they say kept stealing staplers and office supplies right, from the courthouse closet. Of course, that's how kleptomania works. But it can't be a defense to say slapping courthouse staffers like they're Chris Rock at the Oscars. Kleptomania and violence don't necessarily go together. Also, the debilitating illness must be something that's either usually debilitating everybody or, in your case, it's particularly acute. So, for instance, I hear that hot flashes and, and insomnia, not, no fun at all, all right? Zero out of ten, do not recommend. But I hope that they don't cause all women in their 50s and 60s to lose their minds. That'd be a problem. It'd be a problem because most of the women judges, I don't get called to the bench until sometime around menopause slash sleep apnea age. After all, you don't get a lot of 25-year-olds called to the bench. So if it's a case that menopause commonly causes women to lose all sense of rationality and respect for the rule of law, then Cleveland, we have a problem. And not just Cleveland, by the way. We got a problem in Houston, Los Angeles, Santa Fe, New Mexico, everywhere. So while it'll be a few weeks before the court rules on this matter and decides whether to give this judge a two-year suspension or something less, I'm going to go out on a limb and call it now. Uh, the menopause slash sleep apnea defense will not work. For one, four of the seven justices on that state Supreme Court are women. What would their ruling say about them if the official policy of their state becomes, well, you know how these old broads be tripping? Wouldn't that be grounds for others to appeal heck, all of their rulings for the last few years? 
Of course not. So th we can't do that. In the immortal words of Johnny Cochran, just because the monthly psycho did quit, it does not mean she can get away with it. You work out a rhyme of your own. You pathetic freak. Don't just get even. You're making me angry. Get mad. I don't think you're gonna like me when I'm angry. And unleash the hero within. That was a clip from the movie Hulk. Our next nominee for Mr. or Mrs. Uncongeniality. And here we have a North Carolina lawyer who was reprimanded for his pseudo-threatening behavior in dealing with an opposing party. Now I say pseudo-threatening because he didn't ever actually say, I'm going to hurt you if you do this, or I'm going to take all your money from you if you do that. Instead, what he did was incredible Hulk his way through the threats by saying things like, I don't think it's wise to give me a reason to be pissed off. Or, I'm grinding my teeth and thinking about how I can be unreasonable. Or, I'm about to be pissed. This is an understatement. Or, an understatement might be that I'm one of the bigger attorneys in the area. Or, Google me. By the way, anytime someone says Google me, uh, it's going to be a problem. All right, but if you say Google, anyway, <laughs> Google me. I have four to five offices in Charlotte and 16 or so employees. I employ four attorneys. Raising my stress level will not result in anything good for any of us. This is my second understatement. He goes on. I'm debating unpleasant things that will cost you a lot of money. This will be personal. I'm grinding my teeth. I'm trying to stay calm and failing. This is going to be really, really bad. And lastly, I want apologies. And for you to make my client a happy person. Well, I'll take it upon myself to make him a happy person. Now, you might be thinking, hey, hey Sean, that, that's, some, that's some good lawyering. Isn't that a lawyer's job to stop people from doing things that are bad for the client? Isn't that better than just sitting by, watching the person do bad things, and then being forced to sue him once the damage has been done? And, and you're right, in a sense. In, in stopping the bad from happening, a lawyer should do that, but not by making reference to things that are not the law. <laughs> he, in this case, doesn't say this law says this, that law says this, we'll get uh, extra damages. No, no, no. Instead, he says is, don't make me mad. D don't push my temper because then I'm going to have to uh, act a fool up in here. He basically is, is like, you know, the Philadelphia slogan, a fool around and find out. And I'm paraphrasing it. This is the person who's in the bar saying, hey, you want a piece of me, pal? That's not exactly how lawyers are supposed to resolve our disputes. And the lawyer's big problem here is that he's made this all about him. You don't want to make me angry because I'll just hulk out, hulk smash, other party, huh? He isn't explaining that, you know what, I'm going to use every legal maneuver to our advantage because he goes further and implies that he's going to take actions that aren't helpful even to his client. That's going to hurt him. He says, raising my stress level will not result in anything good for any of us. So he's just going to hulk out and create misery for everybody, including himself and his client, right? Interestingly, the folks at the North Carolina bar, uh, they seem to be in an interesting mood this week. Because once again, they looked at one of these attorneys and said, okay, you want to play rough, huh? And so, just like in the other case, they hit him with an advertising violation. They said, okay, you claim to be one of the bigger attorneys in the area. 
How are you going to substantiate that claim as required by the rules? Are we talking about what? In terms of height and weight? You, you going to come in here a little chubby? Uh, or, or do you have some record for the largest verdict on record in the state? No, oh, you don't? So, so you're just talking out of your you-know-what, right? <laughs> and they cut it loose and say, okay, tough guy, either you substantiate this claim of being one of the biggest, or you're guilty of false advertising. Now, this despite the fact that this attorney is not advertising his services to anybody else. He's certainly not trying to get this person as a client because he represents the other person. But as a technical matter, the advertising rules for attorneys apply to all communications that the lawyer makes. Not just when he's trying to get business, but every communication. And if it's not true, or you can't substantiate it, like being one of the bigger lawyers, then they got you. Now that said, they don't get him that hard. He just receives a reprimand, right? Don't do that anymore. And why? Because he threatened to hulk out. But this serves a reminder for all of us that it's never appropriate to imply that you're about to lose your damn mind unless someone else does what you want him to do, all right? You can explain the lawful consequences of them doing that thing. But to add the fact that you about to act a fool just because they didn't do what you want to do, that's going too far. More practically, all of your huffing and puffing isn't likely to be effective. Growing up in the hood, we call this growing up a woofing. This is when you talk a big game because you really can't fight. Trust me, I knew a lot about this. I, I was the woofing king all right, for several years. <laughs> but basically, it's the idea that small bar dogs bark the loudest. If you actually have your stuff together, you don't have to talk a lot, all right? But when you do, you don't, then you tend to talk a lot. There's no reason in this case for this lawyer to be saying all this. If he has such a great case, if it's going to be such a great result for his client, there's no need to do all this talking, right? This is woofing. And basically, when you say to someone, I wish you would, uh, you usually wish I wouldn't. And any smart person knows that, so you're not even going to be very effective with this strategy. How do you stand it out here? You gotta try it sometime. Might do you some good. Couldn't do it. I'm big city. Well, tell me something. What would you miss besides telephones? Everything. Activity, action. Theater, music. Getting a good meal at four in the morning. You've ever eaten this before, either, have you? Mm hmm. They serve rabbit in lots of places. Yeah, maybe, but that ain't rabbit. Then what the hell is it? Marmot. Marmot. What's a marmot? A rodent. A rodent? You mean a rat? Sort of a. Big hairy rat, I guess, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> hey, I know how you feel. Me, I think oysters taste like snot. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was a clip from the movie Shoot to Kill, starring Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger. By the way, am I the only one who used to remember when Tom Berenger used to be in everything? Anyway, in any event, he's back for the next nominee in the category of worst temper in a non-legal setting. And this very intemperate act took place at a BLM, or Black Lives Matter, protest. Here we have a Colorado lawyer. He and his wife 
decided to participate in one of the many protests surrounding the murder of George Floyd right, back in the summer of 2000. They're part of a crowd and they're blocking the roadway at an intersection when an impatient motorist in a truck comes into the intersection. The lawyer says the guy was so impatient he had to jump out of the way all right, to avoid being hit. But anyway, as the truck starts to pull off, the lawyer is freaked out because his wife is a little bit ahead. And so he pulls out his pistol, fires, I believe, just one shot that hits the driver in the back of the head. Now, interestingly, by the time that the bullet struck the driver, the truck really didn't pose any danger to his wife or anyone else. Everyone had cleared the intersection. He was just driving, going about his business. Fortunately, the driver of the truck survives his gunshot wound to the head and mostly recovers after 18 months with you know some extensive therapy. You don't just walk off getting shot in the head. Now, for his part, the lawyer's charged with and eventually pleads guilty to, get this, tampering with a deceased human body. Huh? And no one's dead. Well, here's how it worked out. And this is how it's been explained to me. The defense and the prosecution have come to a deal. They figured out, okay, the lawyer should plead guilty and get anywhere between four and 12 years in prison. And to do that, they need to have a class three felony. They look in the book and pull this one. I guess it was either this or tearing the tag off the mattress. <laughs> they didn't have one that fit exactly, but somehow it's possible to submit a guilty plea even though, and just weigh the facts, say, okay, the facts don't quite fit here, but we want to fit within this class three felony. Judge says fine. And then the judge, instead of giving him the lower end, gives him 11 of the 12 years. Ouch. And interestingly enough, the Colorado Bar comes in, and oftentimes they're sometimes more harsh than the criminal law. So, okay, you got off light here. We're going to make sure you don't, at least don't practice law. But they actually come in and say, you know what, three years is good for us. So at some point during this lawyer's prison sentence, he can go and be a jailhouse lawyer. He won't be able to be, he won't be free, but he will be able to practice law because the suspension is only three years there. He got 11 years in prison. Now, all of that said, let me say, I certainly can understand how this happened. After all, the lawyer's fear that the truck would just go barreling through an intersection and hit his wife and other people is not totally unfounded. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but it actually happened 2017 in Charlottesville. Uh, claimed the life of Heather Heyer was killed when uh, someone came running through right to protest or driving through. So certainly this is something that we understand all right, could happen. However, the judge here ruled the lawyer would have been extremely reckless and rightfully so because he fires a shot into a crowd in a situation where he certainly could have hit his wife, any of the other um, bystanders. In addition, his action here wasn't reasonable because he's not um, removing the threat by shooting the driver in the head. He actually increased it. If you have an incapacitated driver, one who's been shot in the head, it's possible that that truck is just going to go barreling into other people. It's not the best way to stop a truck. And the lesson we should all learn here is that this lawyer, it doesn't seem at least from what I've read, is some hothead just ready to go out and shoot people, etc., Here's people who testify at trial. See, he's a very peaceful man. So the defense attorney would never hurt anyone except for the person he shot in the back of the head. But despite their testimony, here's, here's the bottom line, is that their good friend brought a gun to a peaceful protest. That is the, the definition, right? <laughs> or the 
anti-definition of a peaceful protest. Dr. King, I can't tell you everything he did or wore at Albury protest, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't packing. Because that's actually kind of defeats the entire purpose of a peaceful protest. And I got to say this because we have cases all the time of lawyers who get in trouble because they brought their gun with them. I'm going to encourage you to leave your gun at home. If you have it to protect your family, that's fine. I can't tell you otherwise, but, but that'd be a good place to leave it. Certainly don't take it out in the streets, particularly in situations like this, and t leave it, keep it everywhere away from a BLM protest. I don't say that just as a person who is, you know, into the issue and, and, and thinks BLM is important, but I say that as someone who has friends who, I have a good friend who is serving life imprisonment now for bringing a gun to a BLM protest, sort of. He was driving home one evening from his farmhouse, it's a very, very well-to-do guy in Atlanta, and the highway is crowded, there's a BLM protest. He re he's, by the way, he's in the backseat of his car. His wife is in the passenger side. They have a driver. I told you he's doing well in life. He says, hey, make sure it's going to get crazy out here. He pulls his gun out, and he says it accidentally misfires. Shoots straight ahead into his wife's seat. Hits her. Kills her. He's later charged with murder, second-degree murder. And there's some allegations that he killed her for the insurance money, etc. I don't know. I wasn't there. I do know he was convicted and will spend the rest of his life in prison. A uh, man that, you know, on a personal level, I really like and respect and admire. Someone who's responsible for my career to some a small degree uh, as a public speaker. It, it's it's a personal tragedy for him. I'm not so crazy about it myself. I, I'm sure his wife is a wonderful woman. We shouldn't have lost her there. But we, we lose her because this guy decides in a high-stress situation that will make it the situation better is a gun. And I can't tell you the number of cases that we're going to go through in our time together that'll show you that a gun almost never makes these situations better. Matter of fact, I'm not going to have any cases to tell you that a gun will make it better. It, it almost always makes it worse. If you're going to be in a situation where you think there's going to be conflict, a gun is not the best way to handle that. The best way to handle that is to what, not go. <laughs> That's always a good one. Or, um, you know, to have licensed security or even police presence, people who are authorized to use weapons that you are going to have a hard time defending their use. That said, not going to tell you anything more about that. Go have your shooting ups. But make sure that whatever you do, then the week you come on back and we, we'll do episode 50 next week. 50! It's going to be half of 100. It's going to be a big deal. See you then. And finally, if you're a lawyer and you need your CLE, don't hesitate to get it from Mesa CLE. This is your comedic legal education, but it still counts as CLE. Mesa, M-E-S-A, CLE.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, please feel free to go to Patreon.com. Either look us up at Mesa CLE or at the Ethi Awards. And we thank you so much. See you next time.